Hi, listeners. This is Josh Zygmunt, host of the HR Works podcast and content director of the HR Daily Advisor. Welcome back to another great episode of the HR Works Showcase, where we team up with the brands you know and love from the world of human resources and people operations, handing over the mic and letting them hit record for a change. These are the episodes produced for you and by you, the great members of this HR community. Today, we're back and bringing you another great episode of the Bamboo HR podcast series, The Era. This time, we're checking out episode 12, titled Creating the Ideal Employee Experience, and sharing a recent conversation between host and Bamboo HR CEO, Brad Wrencher, and Lattice's Vice President of Advisory Services, Dave Carhart. You may recognize Dave as a former guest of the HR Works podcast and Faces of HR series, so it's great to have him back and featured on this episode of the HR Works Showcase. Dave returns to share what he has learned in developing a new hybrid work model at Lattice and how to improve the benefits companies offer their workforce. And best of all, Dave talks about developing the ideal employee-centric experience, one that fosters positive culture while also meeting organizational needs and driving success. Let's check it out. Welcome to The Era, where Brad Wrencher, CEO of Bamboo HR, asked the question, does putting employees first really lead to better business outcomes? We think we know the answer, but let's dig in and find out. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the next episode of The Era, where we really go deep on the fundamental hypothesis that the employee experience is the key driver of business outcomes and ultimately success in business. This is the conversation that's dominating C-suites and boardrooms across the world. And we're so excited to welcome Dave Carhart, who is the Vice President of Advisory Services at Lattice. And he has led the people function at Lattice for the last four years. Now, Lattice is one of our partners here at Bamboo HR, and their mission is to make work meaningful. It's awesome. Um, They talk about how do you turn your employees into high performers, your managers into leaders, and your company into into a best place to work. You should check them out. They do a lot of amazing things and and have helped a lot of our joint customers um, really drive their business and their people operations forward. So we're super lucky to have Dave with us as he's been on the front lines of building culture, teams, and businesses for the last decade in the HR seat. Um, and, And you think about he's been really engaged at large companies, startup companies, and so can speak to the, I think, the entire um, life cycle of um, how people, operations, and businesses evolve over time. So, Dave, welcome to the era. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Brad. I'm, I'm really excited to be here and have this conversation. So, you've got this amazing history, um, you know, from a company the size of HP to a, a high-growth company like um, Yulesoft to at Lattice and really being engaged deeply and actually delivering platforms to the HR teams. What sparked your interest in, in people in HR? Like, how did you just even arrive here? Yeah. So it was actually, it was pretty early. Uh, and it was actually, it was actually my parents. It was my mom. And when I was in high okay. school and watching her at, at a company she was at and getting to meet some of the people and see them over the course of a number of, of years and it just it really struck me that there was a way in which this culture that she was in kind of just like drained the creativity and initiative uh, out out of the employees. And and at some point, I kind of looked at that and thought, you know, it's it's almost like the organization were designed in a way to do that. It was so effective at doing it. 
And at one point I said to myself, well, what would happen if you designed it the other way? What would happen if you designed it to unleash creativity, to unleash innovation, to tap into the greater potential of, of people? And, and I think yeah, that, that kind of sparked me and led me on a, on a long journey uh, over the last couple of decades through the HR space. Yeah, I love I love this the notion of you know what if it were different um, as a as an opening question to setting out on a career journey. That's um, you know that's kind of a fun a fun framing question for what the last you know decade plus has been. Yeah, and you know, and you learn that sometimes you have the ideas, and it's it's tougher to do in practice uh, than than you might think it is. But you also you, know, you learn a lot of things along the way having been in the seat and tried to implement things at different companies that, you know, open up new possibilities too. Yeah. I look being the individual or the team in the arena is very different than the Monday morning quarterback. It is, this is hard to do, which is, I think you think about the audience and the people who are listening to this podcast. Many of them are in at companies with two employees. Others are with 2000 employees and um, and you've got this rich experience of having been at small, having been at large. What advice would you give and thoughts, you know, maybe to open up our conversation today on how companies, particularly rapid, rapidly growing companies, can scale and grow? What are some yeah. key lessons that you've learned in your journey? So I think there's, there's three that really hit home for me. One is that particularly if you're growing invest in people infrastructure, including HR, but it's not always about HR. A lot of times it's processes, programs, mindset, invest ahead. Because uh-huh. if you get there and you're feeling at a certain scale and are feeling the pain, it means that you're already behind and are working on, on catching up. So be willing to invest ahead just before you think that it's truly needed. And the second one is on managers of managers. I think talk a lot with HR folks about managers and manager enablement. I've found that one of the biggest risk areas and the thing that can have the biggest blast radius if you get it wrong is decisions around managers of managers. A new manager with the right kind of training and support and enablement can get a lot of things right the first time. Putting someone, even a a decent manager, if they're being directed by someone who doesn't know what they're doing can get off into just really, really bad, bad places. And so think really hard about how you're creating layers in the organization as you grow. And, and the third one is just to, to not try to be everything to everyone. I think it's, it can be easy sometimes, you know, going through a LinkedIn feed and you see, all the new benefits and the perks and every program that everyone is is doing to feel like you have to do all of it. But but you don't. You need to do what's going to be most meaningful, most impactful to your em- employees. And there's no company that is doing all of those things. They're each doing specific investments, specific strategies. And so I think focus and prioritization is, is just really important. Um, I love those. Those are hard won. That that those that advice is those are there's some hard won lessons in there I suspect. Yeah, there's there's a lot of failures in in getting to those. Uh, absolutely. And you know, and a couple a couple thoughts because I think the manager question is a really interesting one. 
And and it's a topic that many, many HR leaders, people leaders are talking about is like our success or failure is going to depend on those first line managers. And we've got to enable them, as you said. Yeah. And manager enablement has been a topic I would say people picked up on. You're extending that and saying, not far enough. You've got to really look at either those senior managers or those directors that are directing multiple of these managers, the the impact of if you put someone ineffective there who or who is not enabled properly, yeah. you know, the 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 multiplicative impact of that um, could really submarine the business. Definitely. And usually that's at a size where you're going to be constrained, where if you're putting in those layers, you probably don't have enough business partners to be having lots of individual meetings with each of those frontline managers. You, you start yeah. to really, really rely on those managers and managers to make a lot of really broad-ranging decisions. And the, the business as yeah. a whole, all the execs, that's at the point when they are needing to delegate a huge number of business decisions. And th- those roles are just really uh, massively critical. So I love that. And I've got one question on your number one, on yeah. the invest in people ahead of time, tech, people, systems, process. So it's interesting. Over the last you know, a couple of years, it's been a very tight labor market. Economic growth is that we've had the wind at our backs pretty much across every sector. Yep. And then this year, like the world kind of hit some economic uncertainty. Um, we don't know if we're headed into recession. And the tone and tenor that comes from companies and people leaders, it seems to have flipped even in just a couple months. What advice would you give about continuing to advocate for companies to invest ahead when everyone's natural business inclination is to pull back on people programs, pull back on stuff because we're entering a recession or whatever people's economic view is? Yeah, I I think really high percentage of the HR leaders that I I talk to right now are going through some type of replan. It's far enough into the year and it's uh, there's been enough change in the market that finance hr ceos are sitting down and saying okay old plans out out the window here's here's the new guardrails for how we're going to operate you know planning ahead though and building ahead doesn't always mean uh hey let's take whatever the budget is and and double it it might mean hey we know that there are some rocky seas and here's a number of different scenarios of how that might play out and here's some of the maybe employee attrition risks that we're going to be seeing as we go forward, maybe as we have more limited compensation budgets, but still tight labor markets, how are we building yeah. now, maybe around career development programs or deepening the, the listening strategy that we have and making sure that we know how people are reacting real time to some of those, uh, some of those changes in the market and maybe shifts in, in strategy, right? So I think, uh, Look, financial resources are absolutely an element, and if HR teams are significantly underfunded, companies do see the resulting challenges from that. But when we talk about building ahead and planning ahead, it, it's definitely it's about much more than just, hey, how do you take the, the dollars and, and increase it, right? It's really about also figuring out yeah, how to maximize the, the resources that you have available. Yeah, I think it is. It gets back to I just see in um, I think those companies that stay focused on, you know, what are those people programs that make a difference on that employee experience? 
I, I, I mean, this is the time to distance yourself when there's a little bit of that e- economic choppiness. Yeah. Um, so, Dave, let me ask you a question. You, you've got kind of some interesting perspectives. What, what shaped your leadership style around people and ar- around, you know, being an executive at these growing businesses? Are there different HR leaders or other um, people you bumped into that have helped frame and shape um, how you operate? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think working under some really, really good HR leaders over the course of my career, I, I think that that's, uh, that's been one of the most important things that shaped my own leadership style. Um, I think, you know, I had a chance to work for uh, Jessica Swank, who's now the uh, the CPO at Box, uh, back when we were both at yeah. HP together. Um, uh, L. David King- Kingsley, who's the CPO at Intercom, we were at MuleSoft together, and seeing how folks like that operate, how they can command a room, how they can make hard decisions, uh, that that was really critical in my own development. I think the other thing that's really shaped my leadership style is is really some of the values of different companies. And I think for me, the test of strength of company values and culture really comes when I leave and how much of that culture and those values do I take with me into the rest of my career. And I think MuleSoft was built really with radical candor as like a foundational organizing principle. And we memorialized it in the value of, of be courageous and having the, the courage to speak honestly and to have hard, hard conversations. That's something that's still, it is still hard for me. Uh, but when I think about when I come into that type of situation, I still like, I still think back to the conversations I had at MuleSoft about, that value and what it, what it meant to us. Um, that's, that's been a big shaper for me. And I've, I've been, I've been really thankful to work at companies that have, have really meant and invested in making their values real rather than, than just a poster on the wall. I, I, I love that Dave. And you know, your, your experience now, and you, you spend a lot of time in HR business partnering. I do want to talk about that, but one of the, as you're in an operating role, you, you know, you're going to have a revenue number in this new role that, you know, that you got to build towards. What is it, what's the divide and the understanding gap between HR and other functional roles, the customer set? Like, what do, what does HR not understand about the challenges that are being focused there? And then what do, what does maybe an operating team not understand about the challenges facing HR? Yeah. Help us bridge this, this gap. I think very often business teams, operating teams don't understand just how much goes into creating a program that they ultimately see. How much in the way of operations and organizing, you know, Tetris with schedules and interacting pieces and processes, I think. I think I only realized how much that was true too once I came to Lattice because suddenly I was I was working with teams that actually did know, right? Because they actually spent their days talking with customers about everything yeah. that went into a review cycle. And it was the first time I felt a sense of empathy for all of the the work that we were putting into something like that. 
Um, and, and I think it, it made me realize how much of a gap there is in that understanding from the HR side. Really, I think it's the understanding the business priorities and all the elements that the operating group itself is working on a lot of times huge number of, of priorities to make impact yeah. there. And I, I think what often as an HR function, we need to do a better job at knowing what those are first and then figuring out how the HR programs support and reinforce and help shape those things rather than so starting with, Hey, here's what we want to do from an HR side. Now let's convince everyone one to do it. I think the HR leaders we see that really have an outsized impact are the ones who do exactly what you said that are good at mapping to the business strategy and then delivering almost like a product manager shipping a product, yep. shipping um, shipping a um, an HR program against that. I, I will tell you, I have learned so much from working with product teams. I think I've, I've gotten a a better view and a lot more exposure than here at Lattice because we're talking about HR needs and product ideas and things. Yeah. And a lot of the ideas in UX research and understanding behavior and needs, um, seeing how they approach a road mapping process and, you know, taking all of the different desires that, that people have, right. And everyone's coming with their own idea and being able to shape it into a coherent strategy that everyone's bought in on. I, I think there's there's a lot to learn there uh, on on the HR side from how how product teams. I I find a lot of commonality too in between HR business partner and product manager roles. I think it's just it's it's fascinating. Yeah. I've learned a lot from from engaging with them. You you uh, you gave an interview um, earlier this year where you talked about a learning that you had around hybrid work and. Uh, and that maybe you could have used some of these principles like from user testing and different things there. Talk a little bit about, you know, uh, maybe what was, it sounds like was a, uh, a good learning lesson for you, yeah. but like maybe applying these principles to something tangible that I think a lot of people are wrestling with. Yeah. I think as we went through figuring out how we were going to approach hybrid work, there were about three or four different times that we were just sure that we had it right. And uh, every time we did, the world had something else to say. And uh, <laughs> it, every time there was a new variant. We've had the same thing at Bamboo too. And yeah, and it, you know, and I walked away from a couple of these experiences thinking more, oh, look, it, maybe I need to go in planning for more scenarios, like understanding the limits a little bit more of, of my own knowledge. And even just being willing to be open with employees about that. I think that for a lot of my HR career, and like this experience really did just totally flip me on this approach. For a lot of my HR career, I felt like you had to get something to a state of perfection with a 10-page FAQ and everything. It's, it's all secret until then it just gets, you know, launched on kind of the unsuspecting employees. And what I found as we went further in this process is the the more that I was open with the company about what was going on in my own head about the about the discussions that we were having as an executive team, 
some of the things that we just didn't know yet, the more I was open about that, the more that people seemed to come along on the journey with us. And there was a, and I think it, it shifted the tone, right? People felt like, okay, there's, there's a space for my voice in this. There's not something, you know, behind, behind a curtain. I, I understand what's happening. And hey, there's all these things that Dave and other folks at in leadership roles don't know yet. And, that, and that's okay, right? Because now that I know that they don't know it, I feel like I can just sort of be, you know, more, more at peace with this. And so I think it, it lowered some of the anxiety. And I think we've tried to take that idea of openness and also just experimentation into this next phase. Yeah. I think I, I was at a, a conference and um, someone was talking about hybrid work. And they said, look, we're, we're two years into a five-year journey on, on this. And I think we really are just at the beginning. There's a lot of companies trying a lot of different approaches. Some are going to work. Some won't. Um, yeah. They're all going to have to evolve. And um, I think leaning into that and leaning into an experimentation mode and being really open with yeah. employees, I think, puts companies in a much better position to continue to evolve and update their own, own thinking and also to engage employees in the creation process. Yeah. We're, I think we are, we're past the time where models will, are defined by HR policies and statements, right? You, we, can, we can give out whatever statements we want, but the models are going to be defined by what managers and employees and everyone does in, in practice. And, and we, we aren't able to direct it, um, maybe, maybe in the way that was needed at a really early stage in, in the pandemic. It, so what's the current state of hybrid at Lattice? Like, you know, that you're like into some of the learning, yeah. like where are you experimenting and, and what's going on right so now? So we, uh, we went remote first and while still okay. leaning into a hybrid model. So basically okay. anyone can move anywhere in the country. We still have our offices in SF, New York, and London. We're still keeping and investing in those. There's a lot of people that are still living in those metro areas, and yep. they, they can come in. You know, they'll, they'll come in when, when they want to. A lot of times what's really getting people together is so lot, live social events. People have come in for that. Yep. Live team meetings. Uh, and people get together, especially for kind of a collaboration or working session. And then also we, we really, we shifted some of the savings that we were getting from how we would have expanded offices and really, uh, expanded travel budgets. And so now being more intentional about bringing folks together. Uh, and so whether that's at like a team or department level, um, I'm in the, actually our New York office today, uh, we, We've yeah. been doing a, uh, a roadshow for our customer experience team uh, and having regional gatherings, yeah. one in each of the offices where you know, everyone from the West Coast flew to SF, everyone from the East Coast flew to New York. And I think enabling some of that experimentation at a, at a team or department level. The other thing is uh, really trying to talk about communication and meeting norms and making those explicit yeah. and... I think that, you know, there's, again, there's a lot that can focus on the HR policy of, of things, but someone actual, what is someone's actual experience and how does their team work and how are they able to collaborate? How that comes down to 
really hard to define norms. And so we, we actually we wrote down the principles and norms that we thought should guide communication exactly. and meeting structuring. Yeah. And we've, we've continued to update that over time. And I think I wouldn't in any way say it's perfect, but uh, it's helped us have conversation about those things. I, I love that. Thank you for sharing. And I know, um, I know a lot, you know, lots of companies were on that journey to figure that out, but I love that you, you frame that in the experience. And as we talked about what we spend a lot of time on in the podcast is this employee experience and, and what the impact of that is and how you deliver it, because it's um, there's no one recipe yeah. that this works for every company. So in your words, how do you define employee experience? Yeah, uh, it's it's a good question. And sometimes, you know, you can say that, like you were referring to there, there's not necessarily an ideal employee experience in the same way as there's not an ideal product, right? And so yeah. really trying to start with I mean, empathy and empathy for what is someone, what's someone's experience, expectations coming coming in and through their life cycle. And as much as possible, trying to see things from their eyes, trying to hear what they're saying and how they're they're responding to things. And then figuring out, I think there's a big aspect of anticipation, anticipating needs and being able to deliver just a little bit more or just a little bit sooner than someone would need would feel like they really have a need on, on their own. Um, I, I think the other element uh, over time, I've, uh, I think I've really learned the power of rigorous operations. Um, I'm not at heart an operations person. I grew up as yeah. an HR business partner and was always like firefighting and like running around on, on different topics. Um, I think, the, the last company I was at, one of the founders was years ago, a manufacturing engineer, uh, kind of back to our conversation about what I've taken from different companies. And it just, it opened up my eyes about the level that you could take operations to and how yeah. intimately that was tied to what someone experienced on the end. If you can, if you can build those, if you can refine those, if you can have continuous improvement processes, there's a mm. lot of the variability or issues with experience that you can, you can take out of the system. Hmm. I love, I love that and love thinking about the employee experience. It's not just about delivering a big bang one time. Like the, the, that operational excellence is you have to show up with an experience every day, every week, every month, every year. Otherwise you're only as good as what you're currently delivering. Yes. Yes. And, and, and there's, there's definitely moments that really matter. There's moments of truth around yeah. promotions and onboarding and birthdays and like a lot of yeah. places that are, I think, rightly invested with a lot of meaning. Um, but in addition, you're, you're right. Like there is, there's a lot of time and space in between those, those moments that really shape what yeah. someone's experience is. So let's dive into a couple topics around and around that employee experience that are, I would say, under pressure today. And the first one I'd love to to go into is benefits. And um, how do you view benefits in the kind of current business world? Where should companies focus on improving 
kind of how does how's the how's the next couple of years going to play out play play out in terms of benefit delivery? Yeah, I, so COVID has just radically reshaped the benefits landscape. It's really shifted people's expectations of what companies should be providing, how much care a company is demonstrating uh, in, in terms of benefits. And I think then leading into remote and hybrid work, as employees are moving around the country, as many, many companies are employing people across many more states, countries, um, that, that puts a lot of new pressure on benefits, both on things like leave and leave support, uh, but also, you know, one of the things that the office did is it was it was a delivery mechanism for a whole bundle of benefits, right? And it was it gave companies this channel to kind of layer in all of these perks, the nearby gym membership and the free food and these different things. And I don't I don't think m- most companies have figured out how they kind of evolve some of that benefits package into a much more uh, dispersed population. So I think it like it's all about customization. Um, I, I will say that you know I have I've learned the power of partners in in this space in in particular. Um, it is a it is a complex space, and it's not just knowing who to talk to to navigate. Again, like. Like we were saying earlier, you don't need to provide, you shouldn't try and provide everything that you see going through your, your LinkedIn in feed. LinkedIn, LinkedIn right? What, feed. What's meaningful for your employees specifically and, you know, and, and have the conversation. There's always, there's always resource limitations. Um, and, yeah. you know, there'll be certainly some of the things that people want that you might not be able to provide right then. But I think if you're able to, the more you're able to customize, the more you're able to then optimize some of your own investment so that you're paying for the things that matter most for, for different groups of employees. And it goes back to, you know, I just wrote down your, your three learnings that you had had and the advice you give. And the last one was around ruthless prioritization and narrowing your yeah. focus. Like if you try to peanut butter everything, you're going to, it's going to have a generic benefits package that probably doesn't stand totally. out. And, and it feels so hard sometimes as an HR team, many of us go in, into HR, right. With, and a focus on customer service and helping and delivering on people's asks and, and needs. And so figuring out how to keep that and also put some of the, prioritization, kind of an approach to road mapping, figuring out how to make trade-off decisions is, I think it is one of the most important things to both to HR success in general, and certainly to growing companies and all functions at growing companies in in particular. So what's the biggest challenge you've seen of, because this is one I get asked about is like, there, you know, Brad, like we, we're, we have all these great benefits. No one's using them. Yeah. Like, how do you solve the customer side of that problem on, like, actually utilization of what gets we, built? We need to become better marketers. Uh, there is <laughs> there is so much that can be amplified in the work that we do, and particularly on benefits, but other areas as well. Uh, if we are able to 
better tell the story. Um, and I, I've, I've tried to learn a lot in my career from uh, the marketing folks that I work with, how they think about uh, communicating and, and messaging. Um, and I think within HR, as, as I've grown as an HR leader, it's something that I've tried to put an increasing focus on. And as I've, I've built out HR teams, when at, a, at an earlier stage, investing in HR communications and, and programmatic uh, kind of support and resources around employee experience design. Yeah. Um, I think that's, it, it, it is becoming for you know, mid-sized companies, I think um, a growingly uh, a func- sub-function with some really growing importance that uh, is worth investing in. Good, good advice there. Let's hit, let's hit another one in the employee experience, one that I would say has been under pressure in the last 12 months, um, and that is compensation. Yeah. Um, in a tight talent market with, uh, you know, decades high inflation, um, what are, you know, what do you see as the biggest challenging, uh, ch- challenges that are facing HR leaders as it relates to delivering um on the compensation, probably let's focus on cash yeah. compensation as part of an overall total rewards. Yeah. Number. So companies are needing to adjust their own spend much more quickly than candidates or employees are going to be adjusting their own expectations of what's appropriate compensation because market is still tight. Inflation is still high. And so I think particularly the next six to nine months are going to be really tough on companies that don't have a plan for how they're going to approach compensation, particularly since realistically, there's a lot of HR folks who have never been through a really extended market downturn, right? COVID was a crash Mm -hmm. and then bounced back, at least for many companies. And so in a lot of cases, there's not, there's not recent memory of, of this. I think that really investing in, Ensuring that you have a strong compensation and overall total rewards philosophy, that you're really investing in the mm-hmm. communication around that, and that you're you're setting priorities. And I think some of that is deciding what you know, what some of the trade off between cash equity benefits going to be, and, and where are you going to make your investment, and then communicating with employees about that. I think that there's a lot of companies that are going to be caught still totally unaware in November when the New York pay transparency law goes into effect. Any company that is employing people in New York when they are posting a remote job will be required to have the pay range on that job because the job could be done in New York. And there's going to be a lot of companies that are, are waking up on, say, November 1st, suddenly getting you know emails in their, their inbox talking about this, and I think thrown in, into a panic. A comp strategy and structure isn't something that you just throw together over a weekend. And for companies that don't have something in place, this is really the moment that they need to be building that out right now. Because if you're hiring remotely that's going to be the, in effect, publishing your entire compensation structure, right? So 
you know, figuring out how you're going to approach that and doing so now, I think is, is just critical. And how does that, how does, you know, you talk about if you're going to be hiring remotely, there has been this great reshuffle and people are like, well, and then you have New York companies who are like, well, wait, I cannot hire in New York. I can hire anywhere. Like, and so it's, it's, it is, there's this great, you know, kind of reshuffle that's happened really across the world. Unlike anything we've seen, what lessons do you think executives, HR leaders can learn from what we're experiencing yeah. today? So I think one lesson is that when you dig into the data, like there's certainly things that were new about what was happening in, in or what is happening in the great reshuffle. There is, I think, an increased uh, kind of focus on work-life balance and burnout. And also when you dig into the yeah. data, a lot of the drivers are really consistent with what we know about the drivers of employee engagement and retention and attrition from before COVID and from the 10 years before that, right? People care deeply about development. They care about finding meaning in their work. Mm. They want a great manager who invests in them, who gives feedback, right? Like there's a lot that is a really similar underlying driver, the difference is the tide's gone out, right? The difference is the the pressure on everything and the competition has turned up. And so a lot of existing weaknesses and existing kind of gaps uh, or areas of disengagement that, that companies might have, have had have been revealed in this. And so you know, there's an element where, yes, there's, there's definitely some new things, but I, I really would not miss as companies think about, all right, well, what does the world look like in a year from now, right? Or projecting forward. I think one of the big mistakes is there's going to be a group of companies that think, all right, that's done. I'm glad, I'm glad we're back to you know, this, this other world. It's like, well, no, no, no. There's, there's a lot of underlying drivers of engagement or attrition that are going to matter to your future business success. This wasn't just one point in time. There will be future pressures. And we know that even in good environments, even in uh, growth economic, high growth economic environments, the companies that do better are companies that have invested in their people, have engaged employees, able to retain them, grow them for the future, right? Like those are some enduring lessons that I think a, uh, a lot of companies will uh, will still take away from from these few years. And what I, so what I'm hearing from you, Dave, is like if we were paying attention, the anything that's happening in the great reshuffle, we wouldn't be surprised by because it was already on our radar screens if we were paying attention to the definitely, screen. Definitely, definitely. And the point is that, and the lasting value of these, this isn't a moment in time that you know that it was already around before. It's happening during the great reshuffle. But like, if anyone's, I guess if let's make yeah. it positive. For those leaders who want to be smart about it, there's an opportunity to use this to um, the adv- to advantage your employees, your future employees, and your business. Absolutely, absolutely. And when you know we talk about the great reshuffle, people aren't just leaving companies. There's some place they're going to, right? There's there's winners yeah. on the other side of of each employee move, and there's companies that as a whole are bleeding talent. And there's companies that are, are really coming out ahead in this market. 
And, you know, the, some of the recent job numbers and recent uh, kind of labor reports, what we're seeing is that the, there's a little bit, just a tiny bit more slack in the market. Still, it's still historically tight. Um, but I think that a lot of folks are going to be in a position to really take what's happening there and, and come out winners by, by making these sorts of investments and, and demonstrating to folks that this is something that they really care about and they're actually going to invest and, and stay invested in their employee's success. I, I love that. So I, and I know we're getting short on time. Two quick questions. First one is, who do you pay attention to in the HR and people field? Like, are there podcasts or are there people that like visionaries you think people should be paying attention to? So I, I spend a lot of time building my own network and building relationships with a lot of other HR leaders. And I have, uh, so I would say investing time in that. And then a couple of the, uh, my former managers and experienced leaders like uh, Jessica and, and L. David Kingsley that I was talking about really look up to and kind of watch and how they're approaching uh, some of the current moments and challenges. And the last question, if you, you know, you mentioned like what's going to happen in the next year, you've already kind of breadcrumbed this, but if leaders are starting to think about I, how I'd like to be positioned as a leader, how I need to lead my business over the next five to 10 years, just even in your new role in advising companies on their people strategies, what's, what are we going to be talking about? What's the world going to look like five to 10 years from now? Yeah, I, I think that between COVID, the great reshuffle, the shift to hybrid work, and also just the rise of HR tech, I, I think that a lot of the trends that we have been talking about within the HR space for a really long time are finally truly coming to fruition. And you know, the, the impact, the visibility, the strategic impact of the HR function, I, I think has been permanently changed. By, by the past few years. And I think that one of the things that will really differentiate business leaders is their ability to see that and invest in the HR function in, in their own companies. Dave, uh, thank you for the conversation um, and for joining this episode of the air. It's been great. I mean, you've dropped some knowledge on us from the beginning all the way through, like what is the role of HR in a business to some um, really great perspectives on some of the key challenges that people are facing around compensation and benefits and where the world is headed. Really appreciate you joining the era and, um, and look forward to, to uh, talking to you again soon. Thank you very much. Definitely. Thanks for having me, Brad. And, um, and for all of our um, listeners, please um, tune into the next episode of the era again, where we continue to go deep into this notion of employee experience is the most impactful thing that you can do to drive long-term business success, what, whether you're a small business, a medium-sized business, or a large enterprise. People, people, people. So let's, uh, let's continue to grow together and learn together. Thank you very much. Looking for ways to combat the great resignation and keep your very best people? Check out the 2022 Guide to Retention. You'll discover just how hard it is for organizations to retain employees in 2022, why people leave, and learn what you can do to boost retention and minimize turnover in your organization. Find this guide and many more helpful resources at bamboohr.com slash resources and discover more ways you can do great work. That's bamboohr.com forward slash resources. Thank you.
hope you enjoyed today's HR Work Showcase. Thanks again to our partners at Bamboo HR for sharing another great episode of The Era. If you've enjoyed this latest episode, be sure to check out the previous episodes of the HR Work Showcase for more great insight into building the employee experience. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the HR Works podcast channel for all your HR podcasting needs and to keep up to date with all of our latest shows from the HR Works podcast family. Until next time, this is Josh Zygmunt signing off.